It's the California Wine Country Podcast with Steve Jackson and Dan Berger. We taste, we laugh, we learn. It is California Wine Country. We do it in the 5 o'clock hour every Friday. Brought to you by Bottled Barn, Rodney Strong Vineyards, and Davis Bynum Wines, and Dan Berger. Our guest today is Mark Beeman. He is the winemaker at Kenwood Vineyards. Mark, good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Absolutely. Glad to be here. It's a pleasure, man. All right. We always start with Dan Berger's cellar wines. He's got a cellar bigger than the town of Pengrove, and... uh, (laughs) Today he brought in something that uh, I don't remember in recent years, all the years we've been doing this together, uh, uh, California Wine Country, 2002? 2002 Riesling, of all things. You and I love Rieslings. I love Riesling, and this is a a great example of how Riesling ages. I mean, if you get a good bottle of Riesling with decent acidity, it's going to last for a long time. This is a 2002. For people who are going Rieslings, I've heard about it, but I'm not sure what, what it is. Talk about Riesling. Well, it basically was originated in Germany, been planted there for all centuries, and it makes a fabulous white wine, typically sweet. But in most cases, recently, we've seen a lot of people making it drier and drier. That's the way I like it. Well, I, I think the most important thing about Riesling is that it's tasty when it's young. Most people think because it's tasty when it's young, it's time to drink it. But I put them away, and I love them when they age. And, and this one is 21 years old. And hasn't even come around. I mean, it's probably at its peak at this point. It probably would have been better five or six years ago. But the point is that it's still drinkable now. And in fact, I may have one more bottle of this. And maybe we should age it for two more years and see what happens in two, two you years. You know, I think the last time I had a uh, 2002 wine was in 2002. <laughs> <laughs> or 2003. But, there uh, we go. No, that's, I like it. Our guest today, Mark Beeman, the winemaker at Kenwood Vineyards, kenwoodvineyards.com. Mark, good to see you. Let's start with the history of Kenwood Vineyards. The, yeah, the history actually goes back on the property to 1906. Of course, the town of Kenwood, which um, I looked this up the other day, it means uh, Royal Guardian is what Kenwood actually translates to. And Kenwood Vineyards started in 1970. So the Pastori wow. family yeah. kind of continued up until 1969. I think the generational shift had occurred. Um, and the Lee brothers, along with um, uh, Sheila, I think was the John last name. John Sheila. John Sheila, oh. correct. Of course Dan would know this, of course. <laughs> you got to be hearing it from him. So he's going to fact check me. Um, but they all got together and purchased the winery in 1970 and started making wines. And I think they really had an appreciation for what we know is this rugged terrain that's very diverse with soil profiles, aspects, all these great conditions for growing grapes. And they really wanted to push the envelope and and try to see what they could do with the area. And I think over the years, the estate, um, which is planted to mostly red varieties now and Chardonnay, but I think at one point, kind of interestingly enough, there was Riesling out there um, as well. And you can kind of see how the varieties had changed over the years. And so they started off, I think, with a, a few white wines, um, some Cabernet, of course, probably a little bit of Pinot Noir as well. And the library, wine library at Kenwood is actually quite vast and goes back to those 1970s. Yeah, that, which is you, amazing. I and mean, you guys would be like a kid in a candy store, yeah. particularly with the aged whites that's out there. I'm a... Uh, Kenwood Chardonnay fan. Yeah, absolutely. And we still make it in kind of a style that I think is really honoring that. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so the 1970s came about, um, of course, 
you know, over the years, some things changed. Uh, most recently, the company that now owns Kenwood, Pernod Ricard, uh, purchased Kenwood in 2014. So this has been the 10th year um, for us working under the uh, Pernod Ricard kind of aspect. And um, definitely with the culture of the industry and the culture of the company, it's really a, a trying for a lot of innovation, uh, which it certainly excites me. Um, I like experimentation. I like trying new and different things. Sure. And so I'm really in the right spot for that. He is Mark Beeman, winemaker at Kenwood Vineyards. What did you bring today? Is that a shard? I did. Uh, Dan was very picky and about like, hey, you got to make sure you bring a Chardonnay. Um, and we <laughs> Thank make, you, Dan. <laughs> and we, of course, make several. Um, and I wanted to focus on the six ridges. This is actually a 2020 vintage. And this is um, all out of Russian River Valley, so not too far from where we're at right now. And the vineyard for this is actually our last Chardonnay. It's a late ripening Chardonnay location. And so we're probably going to be picking that on uh, Friday the 13th and bringing it in. And wonderful acidity. This mm. vineyard site really hangs oh, on to its mommy. acid. And got that mineral character. Uh, finish. Yeah. Big mineral character. And yeah, on a hot day like it is today, you know, I think Chardonnay with good zippy acidity, but good vis viscosity and body to it. And by the you know, way, one well. of my favorite bands, Zippy Acidity, playing tonight at Hot Monk. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Real racy band. They move quick. Yeah. This, this is good stuff. And uh, it's a 20. Correct. Yeah. yeah, in 2020, you know, it was a, a vintage that y y people had to be very, very selective with. And yeah. we certainly were as well. And this Chardonnay, I think, shines very, very brightly. Um, has a wonderful, I think, life ahead of it as well. And is really just kind of starting to hit its stride, I think, right now. Dan, your thoughts on uh, Kenwood Vineyards and the many, many years they've been uh, making some great wines. Marty and Mike Lee were the brothers who founded the property along with John Sheila, and it was uh, roughly 71, as I recall, when I tasted the very first vintage. I think that was, I'm not sure it was 71, but I think it was. And uh, one of the things that I noted was that they had a very fine sense of understanding of acidity. So these wines always had good structure and balance, but it wasn't until in the mid-70s, probably about 75 or 76, when they began to make a real stride forward. I'm not sure exactly what took place, but Mike Lee was really the heart and soul behind the winemaking. Actually, my son worked at Kenwood during the summers yeah, when he was 14, right. 15, and 16 years old. Yeah. He had three years in summertime working at the, and his cellar, his cellar, my cellar now, because he's, he doesn't have the storage location that I do. So he's, I've got a bunch of Kenwood magnums from the uh, from the late 80s and early 90s when uh, he was working there he, he would buy a, a magnum here and there he was not legal to buy it but that's okay he figured out how to get it and uh the wines were really good and they began to make some sauvignon blanc at that time which actually put them on the map actually mm -hmm. that sauvignon blanc that they were making before everyone was making sauvignon yeah blanc? it was yeah. like the first time anybody really explored wow. how sonoma valley really can grow some fabulous sauvignon blanc so that was great and of course the chardonnays came along and this one is a classic example of that this 2020 what is Beautiful. This, what is the designation on this chardonnay so chardonnay is russian river and we bottle it under the six ridges label and the Six Ridges label is more or less just for kind of the, the different AVAs that we have right. within Sonoma County. Yeah, and we've and talked kind about of the diversity that before of the mountain with Kenwood, yeah. as well. And, um, yeah, I think absolutely your, your statements on it, it 
the Kenwood was making a lot of white wines early on and is still very much known for, for its Sauvignon Blanc. And uh, the approach is, is certainly to get those kind of uh, wonderful aromatics out of the, uh, the wines um, for our Sauvignon Blanc and definitely keep the alcohol low. So we typically pick for the Sauvignon Blanc probably around 22 bricks um, and maintain a good acidity where our pHs are probably around 3.2, 3.15. So very zippy, very kind of uh, acid-driven, but a lot of floral aromatics to them. Talk about the acid in wine. It's so important. Well, all wine has acidity, and the amount of acidity determines what sort of mid-palate texture you're going to get. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't have sufficient acidity, the wine will not go with food very well. One of the reasons why sweet wines don't go with food is that the acid doesn't balance off the sweetness. So that's why sweet wines don't go with food. But in this case, we're talking about acid in a very positive manner. It basically is the counterpoint to the richness that the wine provides in the mid-palate. You taste that in the richness of the, uh, how it goes in the mouth. and the aftertaste, all you're thinking about is the food. What food does this want to go with? But the acid doesn't have that much to do with the finish, does it? A little bit, but Teeny the bottom bit, line but not, is... not like the mid-palate. No, the mid-palate is where the, where the metal meets the road. And what you really want to do is match up the food and the wine. And the, the best way to do that is to make sure that neither one overpowers the other. Correct. Kenwood Vineyards. They are open seven days a week by reservation, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Our guest today is Mark Beeman, the winemaker at Kenwood Vineyards. So the harvest this year, we've been talking a lot about that with all the various wine folks we, we talk to. Uh, what are your thoughts as the winemaker at Kenwood uh, for the 2023 uh, harvest? Yeah, so this is my 23rd harvest. Wow. And this year, everybody was saying it's it's three weeks late, and I kind of I, I agree with that based upon the past maybe five, six, seven vintages. But years past, we had some later vintages that were kind of a similar timeline. To right, this. right. And one is being as recent as 2019. So some of this vintage reminds me a little bit of 2019, where I recall picking Alexander Valley Cabernet um, well into November, and. We made some fantastic wines out of that year, and I think this year kind of represents that in a similar sort of way, as well as 2010. Um, on yeah, top yeah. Of that. Okay. So it was certainly a late start. Um, you know, I remember talking about 2010 harvest and, and that year because we started the drive in 2008. And right. So well, yeah. we also had the the problem in 2010 was not the first heat wave. It was the second heat wave. Mm-hmm. We had two little mini heat waves that lasted, what, four days each or something like that. Right. But that second heat wave was the trick. And if you really were concerned after the first heat wave and you started picking, you got some of that fruit in and made a really wonderful cooler climate wine. But the second heat wave caught some people by surprise. So it's always good to look at the... Uh, the weather maps that come across on, mm-hmm. almost on a daily basis these days, and I tell you what, I look at those weather maps every single day. Yeah, same they, here. They're really, really helpful. Mark Beeman, the winemaker at Kenwood Vineyards, is our guest on California Wine Country today with Dan Berger. Mark, talk about your history as a winemaker. How did you start? Yeah, I don't have the typical uh, pedigree, if you will. Um, I didn't come from a wine family, uh, nor did I go to UC Davis or Fresno. But I did grow up in agriculture up in southeastern Washington, a small town just outside of uh, Walla Walla, which a lot of people know for the wine industry. And um, 
small town. Folks were into agriculture. Uh, we grew alfalfa, wheat, and cattle. So I've always had my hands in agriculture. And then college, I went to a local college. You grew cattle. Yeah, we had cattle. You had cattle trees up there. Yeah, yeah. They just, they, they just grow. you got to water them properly. I'm sorry. Go ahead. They keep the grass low, though, around them. But um, it was a pretty idyllic kind of situation growing up there. And I stuck around for college and got a degree in geology. Um, and then after that, realized there weren't too many geology jobs for making maps, which is what I enjoyed doing, cartography. Really? And um, so I joined the Peace Corps. And found it as a, an opportunity to kind of get out of town and get some life experience. And so I lived in East Africa in Tanzania. Cool, dude. Uh, for about two and a half years doing environmental work uh, with a very small village out there uh, called Getagul, uh, which was really fun. Uh, learned to speak Swahili, got a lot of life skills, made some really wonderful friends, and actually wow. got introduced to fermentation science, oddly enough, in Tanzania. There was wow. a guy that made a honey wine, mead. And was very particular about adding cloves that he got from Zanzibar to add spice and really made an art of it. And I appreciated that and it always stuck, stuck with me. When I returned to the United States, um, the wine industry had really grown in Washington State. And so I took note of that and realized I'm into agriculture. That's certainly part of it. My geology degree with my understanding of soil science certainly applied. And then looking at a growing wine industry it made a lot of sense to jump into that and so uh, i got a haircut and put on a tie and went in for an interview <laughs> at uh, columbia crest winery and got to meet doug gore and ray einberger and some of the luminaries that were there beautiful wonderful people it was a great experience i was very low on the totem pole um I was pretty much just out on the crush pad doing whatever they needed to be done sure and had a good work ethic which i think they appreciated so they then moved me down to California, and I got to work in a facility that was in McDowell Valley in Hopland that at the time the parent company, Stimson Lane, uh, owned. And so I got to get into viticulture and more into the laboratory for those four years. And then I met Paul Dolan and the Thornhill family who purchased Parducci Winery. And I worked with them for about 12 years making organic, Parducci. biodynamic, and sustainable wines. Yeah, and great a number stuff of other brands. from Parducci. Yeah, and we had a lot of autonomy, and I learned sure. a lot, and a lot of crafting for winemaking um, during those years. And by then, I had started a, a family, and uh, the wild hair of adventure came calling again. And I realized, wow, I, am I going to be at one place for a long, long period of time? Not that there's anything wrong with that. Or is it time for another adventure? And I decided it was time for an adventure, and I took a wine job at uh, Maui. And so I lived, we moved the family out to Hawaii. Cool. And uh, I made wine. Uh, both from vinifera and from pineapple, uh, for close to three years out there. Um, and uh, yeah, I looked at Dan, and he just put his hands up and went, "I have no idea what he's talking yeah. about." Yeah. I've been there. I've actually visited that winery. Yeah. Uh, how long were you in Maui? Uh, close to three years. All right. And have so, you been back since the fires? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah not yeah. since not since the fires in Lahaina. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly in contact with a lot of people over there. Sure. Made some lifelong friends. Um, but then, uh, after, after Maui, it was, you know, it's expensive to live out there. Yep. But the main thing I realized that really brought me back to wine country, particularly here to Sonoma was realizing how much your peers and your competitors really push you. And in Hawaii, there's just one winery. And so at least on the Island of Maui and it, 
I needed that kind of push and I needed that brain trust that you kind of have with your buddies and, and the people that you're kind of working with and in some sense in the market against. Right. Uh, There's, there's a big dynamic that's with that. And so we made the decision to come back to uh, wine country and decided Sonoma was really where we wanted to land because I think it was a good mix between the wildness of Mendocino um, and the other side would be the pressures of Napa um, that's there. And I liked all the diversity of terrain, but also the fact that there's Alicante Boucher to Zinfandel. You got everything in between as, right. as far as varieties go. And I like to tinker. And so I was able to come back to Sonoma, where I worked at Valley of the Moon Winery, uh, Sebastiani, and now I'm with uh, Kenwood. He is Mark Beeman, the winemaker now at Kenwood. Uh, it is California Wine Country, brought to you by Bottle Barn, Rodney Strong Vineyards, and Davis Bynum Wines. Kenwood Vineyards is open seven days a week. It's reservation only, as most wineries are for the tasting rooms post-pandemic. They're uh, open seven days a week, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. So go to KenwoodVineyards.com, find out all the info, and join the wine club and taste some of their great wine on Highway 12, Kenwood, California. Just about 15 minutes south of Santa Rosa, or east, I guess, of yeah, Santa yeah. Rosa. It's and close. Uh, beautiful little t- t- town of uh, Kenwood is charming. I love Kenwood. Yeah, great little town, and uh, it's not. It's easy to get to. We just take Highway 12 out. And uh, what's really nice is that the winery is, is really attractive, but there's also decent parking out there, so that's just mm-hmm. nice, help, helpful. And staff is really good. It's a, it's a great place to visit. I visited, my first visit to Kenwood was probably 79, I'm guessing. And uh, what I didn't know that first visit was that they were, uh, they're actually in a fairly cool area. Cool enough to actually ripen Pinot Noir in a cool region. Surprisingly enough, what, was, what you don't realize, if you look at a map really closely, Mark knows this real, real well because he's out there, but if you look at a map, Really closely, you'll notice that just over the ridge is Bennett Valley. Mm-hmm. And Bennett Valley is really cool. People don't know that. It's really, there's breezes coming in out of there. Well, since I moved there 14 years ago, it is very cool. It is. And it's, a, it's surprisingly <laughs> enough, it ripens Pinot Noir really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, a, it's an amazing uh, area for a lot of different, I mean, there, there were Pinot Noirs being produced in there until fairly recently. I think there's still a little bit of Pinot Noir being grown in that area, and it's the north, north part of where, it, it, I guess you call it the west part of Sonoma Valley. But the interesting thing there is that so many other varieties grow so, so much better. So mm-hmm. it's possible to grow Cabernet and Merlot. It's possible to grow uh, Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, and so forth and so on. So you've got so many different options in, in Sonoma Valley. Yeah, one of the cool pieces of history, too, with, with Kenwood, and it was right there in the mid-'70s, is the the Lee brothers had an appreciation for finding kind of vineyard sources, and I'm not quite sure the the genesis of it, but the result is something that we're we're benefiting from today. And the Lee family got to meet the uh, the owners of Jack London Vineyard in the mid '70s, and found this property. And I think at the time it, there was some Pinot Noir on the property. That's correct. Yeah, and there was. Some of those wines from the 1970s that were Pinot Noir were actually off of Kenwood. Uh, Kenwood's vineyards that they had, or with Jack London rather, and but over the years they kind of decided, all right, let's have more of a Bordeaux kind of uh, focus, and so they put in Cabernet and Merlot, and also some Zinfandel, and then a small amount of Syrah. Uh, for in a fact, blender. the Jack London Zinfandels are notorious for being some of the best Zinfandels ever made in California, 
long time ago, and and these wines are still holding up in the bottle. I, I may have a, two or three bottles left of those old Zins. Oh, I'm sure you do. Well, I'm sure. Yeah, somewhere in the cellar. And the uh, was it Milo Shepard? Is that his name? Who was the grower at that time? And uh, they were very thrilled with the, the Zinfandels they were growing there. And unfortunately, a lot of the Zinfandel. Uh, production moved into different areas because Kenwood is so much better for some other varieties. And mm-hmm. Zin- Zinfandel did go through a, a hectic, uh, erratic period. Yeah, and I think part of the reason for the, the Zinfandel getting to be known so well out there is certainly there's, there's a jammy characteristic that's there, but there's also this kind of white and black and pepper. And I must interrupt. Jammy characteristic? Yes. Playing tonight at Hot Monk Novato. Wow. <laughs> Got them all. One of my favorite bands. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. I can't do it. But the zin, the zin up there, because the orientation of the rose and the location, um, when the sun is really kind of at its zenith and its hottest time, you know, and today was a, definitely a scorcher. No kidding. There's a number of redwoods, just these absolutely massive, massive redwoods that are out there. And they kind of act as these guardians to kind of temper and filter out that heavy, intense sun. And so as a result, um, we don't get as much of the cooking that can occur when you have these warm days, particularly at the right. 3 and 4 p.m. Right. kind of timeline. So there's an advantage because of the topography that's out there in that vineyard. And then also the, the Zinfandel tends to carry its acidity really quite well because it does cool down nicely at night um, out there as well. Yeah, anybody who lives out that way knows that the cool nights that come from the wind coming over from Bennett Valley is long mm-hmm as well as what's coming up from uh, town of Sonoma. So yeah. you get a lot of cooling breezes yeah. in the evening. Sure. And it's, it's really helpful to the vines because that maintains acidity, mm-hmm. and that gives you a little bit long, longer time to make a decision on when to harvest. Yeah, so it's, it's certainly a big part of the history with Kenwood is having that relationship with Jack London Vineyards. And I was actually out there this morning. Um, there's about two dozen different blocks. So to be able to walk the vineyard and really evaluate each one of them while you're out there, it takes about three hours. So, of course, I had to pick the warmer day of the, the year to go do that. But, uh, <laughs> the vines are holding up very well. You, you are know? the man. <laughs> well, I had some, some company, too, and um, it's, it's gorgeous. I think you kind of lose yourself when you're really enjoying what you're doing. You sure. don't realize of that, course. oh, God, I just walked a long way in heat and a lot of hills and all of that. One of my favorite wines that Kenwood makes is Cabernet, and the reason more than anything else is they have a long, long history of making Cabernet. Uh, Mike Lee was particularly sensitive to this. My son, uh, who had his summer jobs at Kenwood, uh, worked under Mike Lee and, and got a tremendous affection for Mike. Uh, very sad day when Pat when he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, Pat Henderson took over as the winemaker, and Pat was a terrific uh, example of how to understand Cabernet, and his Cabernets were pretty amazing, too. Tell us a little bit about your experiences thus far with your Cabernets. Yeah, so the uh, the, the Cabernet... We get um, quite a bit off of Jack London Vineyards, and then we also uh, contract some fruit out of Alexander Valley, Alexander Valley from uh, Wasson uh, Cabernet. So two distinctly different styles, uh, but I think both are brilliant because they owe honesty to the varietal aspect of, of Cabernet. You're going to smell and taste the Cabernet, and you're going to be like, okay, yeah, I, I know what this is. It's not Amarone. It's not all raisined up and overdone and overextracted with a ton of makeup on it that you kind of get hidden behind. That's, that's we're proud of the, of the fruit, and we're yeah, going to showcase that. That's exactly one of the reasons why I, I'm writing a book on Cabernet, and one of the reasons I'm writing the book is that a lot of Cabernets today 
don't smell or taste like Cabernet. Yeah, and and it's confusing. It yeah. is confusing. You buy a, a, a bottle of red wine, and you take it home, and it says Cabernet on the front label, and you taste it, and you say, well, I don't know what's, what's here, but it doesn't smell like Cabernet. That's my, my observation. Yeah. And it's not a problem for most consumers. They, they, most people just buy the wine, and they take it home, and they drink it. Well, to me, a good red wine like Cabernet deserves to have some time in the bottle. And what you get from the time in bottle Mm -hmm. is more of that tobacco and that cumin and that all those other aromatics that are endemic to the variety. And if you don't have that, what what else do you have? Yeah, you're you're not owning uh, the 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 goal of charging for authenticity to the variety. And I think that's that's something that I take as a responsibility as a winemaker to, you know, do something that make a wine that showcases the, the terroir, the, the area that's unique. Certainly showcase the, the variety so there's not that confusion. What is it I'm drinking? Is it, It's just a red wine. You want to be able to place it and own to that. And then have some consistency from year to year. And one of the things I love about the vineyards that we source with from Kenwood from the Wasson over in Alexander Valley and then the Jack London Cabernet is they're fairly consistent in the manner of the aromatics and the flavors that you get from them. And just as you said, Dan, some of the, the, the berries and the cherries and the fruit, those are wonderful. But the things that really intrigue me and drive me to come back to a wine are the other aromatics, the, the herb, the, the graphite, maybe some savory elements, a little gamey maybe hint that's in there as well. Right on. And the other things that really kind of make you think, oh, wow, that's something new and different that to me are exciting and not as pedestrian as just berries and cherries all the time. Dude. You are really good on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just soaking up the, the folks that are around me. No, right no, now, no. So, you, no you, um, and we appreciate you, and great to see you again. He is Mark Beeman, the winemaker at Kenwood Vineyards, kenwoodvineyards.com. California Wine Country brought to you by Bottle Barn, Rodney Strong Vineyards, and Davis Bynum Wines. We do it every Friday. Thank you, gentlemen, so much. Thank you so much for having me. Cool to Love see you, Love talking with you guys right. every time, man. Likewise. Dan, we'll see you next Friday. With Cundy Vineyards.